It's time to wrap our tentacles around the world of entertainment and give it a good squeeze. This is the Squid Fellows Podcast. Alrighty, my Squid Fellows and my Squid Fellaritas. That's. I think that's a thing. A it thing. Is now. That's a thing now. All right. <laughs> I just want to say. We have a great episode in store for y'all this week, and I am definitely going to be here for the entire thing. There's no way that I'm missing miss it. the end of this, this episode. No way. He, could, he couldn't. Not entirely. That's no. And we have Tyler as a guest again. Oh, yeah. Yep, yep. I'm here. The infamous Hello. Tyler, who's pretty much kind of becoming a, a squid himself. He's at least half squid. I'm about to start filming Japanese pornos with him. I have uh, one right. tentacle growing out of my belly button. It's a it's a little disconcerting, but it's cool because I can uh, pick shit up with it. So totally uh, normal things. Don't go to a doctor. I got that one popping out of my butthole. <laughs> Dude, you too. All right. Welcome to my review of the BBC, and by that I do mean the Big Black Cock. Of course, of course. Chris loves to review the Big Black Cock. No, no, I'm not. Or the boner biting... Chris, Chris... Crocodile? Chris, Chris Chris reviews all over it. Yeah. He reviews all over the BBC. He likes when the BBC's review all over his face. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. This BBC review is going to be focusing on the Great British Bake Off, which is, as you can imagine, a baking show. They take it's 12 amateur bakers, occasionally 13, and they have baking contests with them. And each week they eliminate one of the bakers until they get to the last week where they have three bakers and one of them wins the whole shtick. They do various things. They have like a cookie week or they call it a biscuit week. Oh, biscuits. Yeah. Shit, have, oh, like, crumpets and tea, yeah. Crumpets and wait tea. a second, wait a second, they wait have a, a second. Pastry week. By biscuits, do they mean cookies? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> fucking British people, dude. Are you fucking kidding me? It's there's a cookie! There's a lot of British talk in this show. So they have a lot of various like stuff they make them do. So they have to do pastry week, pie week, cake week, biscuit week. They'll have them do French baking week, Italian baking week, all this crazy stuff. And it breaks down into three segments each show. First segment is uh, the signature bake, is what they call it. And it's one they get to practice at home. So they, they have to bake, like, let's say they have to bake a babka in, like, three hours. Part of their signature bake. So they got to practice at home. They I thought get it was to, British. Well, they bake stuff from other cultures, including the Jewish. The Jew stuff. <laughs> yeah. So they have to do that, and they get to bring whatever ingredients they want. They get to make it whatever flavor they want, as long as it's the thing that they told them to make. That one's always kind of fun. The second one, which is the one that none of the bakers get to practice at all, is called the technical challenge. One of the judges picks the challenge. They give them essentially no description. The judge gives them like maybe one little hint. Then they tell them what they have to bake, and then they have to bake it with whatever ingredients they have, whatever materials that the judge gives them to bake it, and they have to bake whatever it is. Those are usually the hardest ones because they don't get any practice. It's usually random shit that no one's ever heard of. There's one that was like they had to make like these green tea, like mochi little pancake things and form them into a cake and then cover it in something. And it was like something none of them ever heard of before. Some weird Japanese thing that they had them make. It was really like just they picked the most outlandish stuff to make them do the technical so they don't know what it is. 
I'm losing my voice. Okay. I'll be right back. <laughs> <laughs> Never <laughs> to be heard from again. See Young Andrew. No, Andy, don't go. Um, I'm losing my voice. The greatest <laughs> episode. He'll be back. He just needs a sip of more. He needs to drink a little more beer and he'll be back. So, yeah, so I think that's um, immaculate. I really like that they have, like, you know, one where they can show well, two. their... They get, they get two I know I'm saying stuff. one where they can show their, you know, true ability because they can practice and they can, you know, make their own twist. But then another one where they have to, on the spot, use their knowledge what, to... They get The third one they also get to practice. So oh, they have a third one. Stopper, and it's supposed to be a big, over-the-top baking extravaganza where it's supposed to, Like, there's literally... For like the Japanese week, they made the, they did a kawaii bake, so they had to make stuff that looked cute, in like oh Japanese God. way. It was really corny, but it's like these big cakes, like these huge cakes covered in like decorations and really cutesy stuff. It's this big kind of over the top, extravagant thing that they get to practice as well, and they get one week to practice between each episode. What makes the show what makes the show really good is one the fact that everyone's an amateur so there's none of that professional baker where they're like, Oh, I know I did this right. I'm better than the judge. I know I was right about this. The judge is just stupid that you get in a lot of other of these kind of shows. Because they're all amateurs. They all have the utmost respect for the judge. And two is uh, the hosts, which have rotated throughout the show's tenure, are really good at interacting with the contestants in the show. And being kind of funny and jovial, but then they're also supportive when they drop something. Or they're like, you'll be okay, even though it's totally not okay. Stuff like that. So they've rotated through hosts. The first two were Sue and Mel, two uh, women with very kind of dry sense of humor. They were both equally talented, I thought, in bringing stuff to the show. Then they switched to Noel Fielding, and then they've kind of rotated through a couple other hosts who were not nearly as good. And Noel's just kind of a ridiculous dude, and that's what makes him funny. So... I'd say the hosts have gone down since they replaced the two original hosts with Noel and these other hosts. I'd say that's gone down a little bit. But honestly, the driving force that's kept the show super popular besides the baking is this guy, Paul Hollywood. He's the male judge. They always have him, and then they have a rotating between Mary and the new female judges, Prue. But oh, Paul's always been there, and he's the super harsh critic guy oh, so he's oh, like he's the gordon ramsay of but like britain but he's fair hopefully you get gordon, your voice gordon, back is soon, gordon ramsay british gonna miss you you'll get it back before this episode's over right? andy if <laughs> okay the the next time i hear your voice i might just Jim bust the fattest nut yeah wow that's really nice. wait <laughs> <laughs> so paul is like he's brutal but he's fair and when people do a good job he does praise them so he doesn't he's not always mean do a good job he gives you a lot of praise and when people do a great job and he praises them people are so happy because he doesn't do it every five seconds so when he does give out a compliment it's really well taken <laughs> he gives this thing occasionally where it's called the hollywood handshake where if someone does a really great job he'll give them a handshake and it's supposed to be like a mark of being really good Every week, they eliminate someone, and they also give someone a star baker, which means they were the best baker that week. That's it doesn't really translate to anything other than, like, you did a great job this week. Good oh, for you. Okay. Yay. Woo! There's, you can literally, people have won the star breaker, they got eliminated the next week. They completely sucked the next Too bad. Week. Yeah. That's, um, like, it, it just seems really classy. You see a lot of, like, the bake shows in America, and I feel like 
they're just very holly like hollywood like propped up with like very corny type beat but this sounds pretty classy it's i classy like this and it, it, it works because they don't really change a lot of the format like they bake in the tent always focused on the baking like for the technical challenge for instance the judges have to leave the room so they can judge it blind so everyone has favorites and when you're with someone for like over a month you might end up giving them a benefit of the doubt because you like them so there's always that technical where you don't know who did it so you can fairly judge how shittily they did oh so they don't it's like blind so they don't the tell them who did what is the, is the technical challenge the judges leave the room the bakers bake it they, yeah, they, they put they it behind that. the photo yeah that's facing the bakers but the judges can't see and then the judges judge it and there's sometimes where they're like this is just fucking shit, basically. Like, Paul's like, yeah. it's raw, it tastes terrible. And, and it'll be someone it, he and, fucking... And cut to the... Uh, the person's, like, almost crying sitting there. <laughs> as he's just laying into their terrible bake. Oh, <laughs> man, that's rough. Uh, yeah, hey, you gotta, you gotta have some, of the, some tears, yeah, you know? Some tears, some, some blood and sweat, and semen. And, and because it's baking, yeah, there is a certain, like, commitment once it goes in the oven. Like, you can't undo an hour of baking time when you have a strict time limit right you can't if you really fuck it up early you fuck it up and you'll see that sometimes where like they there's one when they're doing beef wellingtons and she completely fucked up the dough and as she's baking it all the dough's falling off the meat log. so just a log of meat with a little bit of dough like hanging on for your life that's like tragic and too when you're in when you're in yeah. one of those situations because like that's how down. you have to present something and if that's how you have to present it away. he got so mad that it, the ice cream didn't set that just he picked up and it melted everywhere. He just threw the whole thing in the garbage, oh. and they had him bring it up. And he's like, "Bring up what you did." And he brings up the garbage bin. Oh my and gosh! Paul's like, Paul's like, "So is the cake good? Were the other things?" And he's like, "Yeah." He's like, so "You could have presented those. What's wrong with you?" <laughs> <laughs> so they kicked him out. So the show's really good. It's on Netflix. It's become a Netflix original from the Big Black Cock Network. Ah, it's become a Netflix perfect. original now. So they've got a lot more money, so uh, like they'll do like weird skits and stuff before the shows that show that they've got a bigger budget now. They're trying Ooh. to be funny. Some of them land, some of them don't. I would give it a five and a half out of six tentacles. Nothing extra. It's one of the better cooking shows there is. It's oddly relaxing, yet there is like tension at the same time when they completely fuck something up or when it's coming down to the clock. You're not sure if they're going to finish. When something falls over at the last minute... But at the same time, they're all British. They're all like talking with that British accent, and it's really polite. They're not like not being assholes. So it's out, it can also be weirdly relaxing to watch too. It's a bizarre kind of duality, but it really works for that show. Ooh, Definitely sweet. recommend it if you like to watch cooking shows like I do. Like you know the gay the gay man that I am. Boy there, squeener squeezies. Uh, today, me not here. I'm gonna be talking about um, an older game. Not too old. 2017. It was revered as a pretty bad title, but now, in 2021, I've given Mass Effect Andromeda another try. So, many people are familiar with the Mass Effect series. You're basically in space, very, very advanced human civilization, you know, Earthlings, year... 2,500 type shit. You know, everybody's colonizing Mars and flying through the Milky Way at light speed trying to uh, Find fight against aliens and robotic demon creatures.
creatures. Got my boy flying in his, you know, light speed, trying to find some alien ass. Gotta get he a piece is always of that. trying to. He's always trying to get laid, gotta, dude. Yeah. Gotta give him credit. Alien, human, whatever. True. He's gonna Male, do it. female. <laughs> very true. Very true. And uh, you're, it's you're making a lot of choices that affect the, mor you know, your, your, the morality of your playthrough, and then eventually the end result of the game. It's a very uh, your choices drive the outcome of the game type adventure. However, it's also got very dynamic, explosive, fast-paced, uh, third-person over-the-shoulder shooter, laser combat. You know, pew pew space rifles and gravity powers, biotic abilities, That's tech what abilities, it is, biotic ability, and then fast forward. 2017 after the main mass effect trilogy boils down they gave the franchise another shot at um, a new appearance and in andromeda you are this boy who you can customize uh, however you wish the customization is fairly bare bones uh, in terms of how you can make your character look can and I customize my genitalia? You cannot. Oh, oh man. They were not that big brain, and they were Bummer. also not that uh, robust and vivacious. They didn't want to try that. Give myself a pencil penis. Oh, yeah. Uh, you would be renowned very across the tip. galaxy for that. Yeah, Two-inch punisher. Very the aliens tip, cower. Yeah. Indeed they do. The needle. Young dagger. <laughs> that's that's the what they call the Chris. Needle. <laughs> the needler. Young dagger. The needler. Yes. Customize your guy. You can do tattoos and face makeup and eye color, hair color, hairstyle. But to be fair, it all kind of looks buggy. Uh, this is one of those games where you could keep your helmet on in a conversation and not mind it. <laughs> <laughs> so that you wouldn't have to worry about the lip syncing or any of, you know. The conversations, I would say, are still quite quality, but the lighting effects and the visuals and the skin texture of humans is not all that attractive in fact it's quite off-putting but that's nice. that's like a small feature of the game i know that a lot of the game is dialogue but definitely uh, something noticeable you have though. the choice not to pay attention to it and you also have the choice to literally take it out of the game by wearing helmets during cutscenes and that's a setting you can configure just in the regular settings menu you can either wear a helmet all the time or only during Wearing a helmet while you're plowing some alien. You could actually. That would count as cutscene. <laughs> um, that's how I'd do it. <laughs> and so you're a rider, and on your first mission, you wake up from cryo sleep for 500 years. You've been traveling across the universe for 500 years on this big ass ship called the Nexus, which is supposed to bring humanity to another galaxy and to a paradise world where it's habitable, there's atmosphere, there's trees, there's plants, there's animals, there's warm climates where humans can live and be symbiotic with, with the nature there on the planet and just colonize more, just they want to conquer. It's not like a, a negative term though, of just humanity expanding its population. What do you do? Yeah, you just, um, there's only up. Right, right. And so they arrive and they go out on a mission, and your father, Alec Ryder, dies. Tragic accident. He gives you his life support and sacrifices himself when your helmet breaks. Uh, honestly, 
not very deep. That doesn't matter. It's just meant as like a stepping stone or like a catalyst to push the story. And then you gain all of your father's like secrets and all of his little knowledge tidbits, which come in the form of an artificial intelligence that actually gets implanted into your body. And so now it's part of you flowing through your bloodstream. And so you can just hear Creepy. it talk in your head. And it allows you to like synergize with old alien technology and you can like hack it and do all this crazy stuff uh, while also having a voice inside your head that's like breaking down every situation logically and making you essentially a super soldier. Does it control you at all or no, just helps no. you think? It, it just helps you think and it, it helps you get around the environment because you need it to hack everything and it also probably gives you those biotic powers and the technical abilities. But yeah, your job as the quote pathfinder, like the head honcho of the whole colonization vision of the Nexus, your job is to go to all the different planets within the Andromeda galaxy, which is the new galaxy that you've arrived in, and make them habitable. Because surprise, surprise, they're not. Oh, the intelligence was wrong. Uh, the intelligence was so wrong. They're <laughs> dead planets, to say the least. Some of them. One of them is a complete desert planet called Eos. And the other one is called Vold. It's just a frozen, icy tundra. Mm. Absolutely unforgivable. Negative 50 degrees Celsius weather. It's just not... Wonderful, not wonderful living it's conditions. That's how I want to live. And your job is to uncover these ancient alien fortresses called remnant obelisks and the, the remnant monoliths. And you go inside them, you go deep, you dive into them, and you activate them, and they allow you to like terraform the planet to where it becomes habitable for humans. Oh, okay. And that That's cool. in turn increases like the planet's viability for human colonization. So are there like multiple obelisks around yeah. the planet and the every more you single, activate, the more it goes so up? So you cannot physically land on every single planet in the game, which is very a disappointing factor. Um, but the ones that you can land on, um, <laughs> you can make habitable for humans and establish your own colony and pick what kind of settlers land. Like you can pick a military base or researchers or, or commerce guys and that can also affect the story and how it can affect the morale of the people on the nexus as they come out of cryosleep because you know I specifically in my playthrough my first base was on the desert planet Eos because that's the first planet they have you colonize it was a military base because I figured, you know, the main presence on this whole planet was the, the main hostile enemy group called the Ket. And they're pretty brainless enemies. They just want to destroy everything and they want to gain all of the remnant technology for themselves. They're honestly pure antagonists. There's no like deeper motion or motive. They just boom, boom, pew, pew. We look weird. Shoot, we shoot. kind of look humanoid. We're not very creative but we shoot everything and therefore you shoot at us the most that you're gonna shoot at any other type of enemy in the game. And so Fair you, enough. You, conquered, you spend that whole time on a desert planet 
where the only interesting thing you're doing is murdering Ket. And so I, yeah, I figured, well, the first planet needs to be defensible. We can't just establish a la-la land. Right away and then get wiped and out. And get wiped out by the Ket that we just took their entire stronghold. Um, and then you go back on the Nexus and everybody's mad and there's riots going on and they're like, my family's in cryo sleep. Wake them up right now. It gives you a moral decision. You know, it doesn't matter what you do. Either side of that would say the same exact thing, whether it was a research base or a military base or a commerce base. Somebody would chime in with that same exact. Some line. someone would be upset. You can't please right. everyone on you the know, nexus. You're caught. You're caught between a rock and a hard place, and you essentially, in my playthrough, I chose to bite the bullet and be like, "Listen, I'm not letting anybody out of cryo sleep that isn't their time to get out." You know. Yeah. Because then I have to do it for everyone. And not only that, they consume resources. Yeah. And, and then you're not, precisely. you know, you're not ready yet. You yeah. don't have a planet prepared. Exactly, exactly. And so... I'm sure that went over well. It <laughs> did go over well. I managed to really break up the riots, but there's still a lot of sabotaging. There's even some rebel groups on the Nexus that are trying to sabotage the natural resources of the Nexus and compromise the lives of their families that they keep complaining about. Because so that's that's so definitely an interesting like I, I like that huh. aspect about it yeah. where you so know is it only sorry is it only humans on here because I know in the no. Mass Effect universe there's so, a lot of aliens. So by this point, all of the culminations of alien species that Shepard met in the previous Mass Effect games. This game does not harken back to the previous Mass Effect games at all, only in name. But the one thing it does do is all of the aliens that were kind of scooped up and normalized in the original Mass Effects are now normal population on the Nexus. Got so it. like there's Asari, blue-headed, tentacle-looking bitches. They're fucking hot. They're <laughs> pretty bad. They're pretty bad. They have always been the hottest aliens um, in that, in that franchise. Asari, we got the Krogan, which are weird frog people. To me, Ooh, those were the hottest. They were sexy. Those tongs? Sexy. Yeah. They're basically a warrior race. They're extremely intelligent. They're sufficient at killing. And there are these new ones called the Angara. They're not actually uh, regular in the population, but I feel like it's very important to acknowledge that they did try to add a new species, which I appreciate. I enjoyed them. They're very interesting looking creatures, but you can see this very clearly in inspiration, which seems more like a crutch than anything from the movie Avatar. Um, oh no. <laughs> But that's besides the point. One of them is currently one of my followers. You can choose two followers that can come around with you on your missions and they all have unique abilities and powers and they benefit you in certain ways more than others and they have unique dialogue that makes them fun and interactive. You can progress their side stories. It's a very quest-based game. You can pick up quests, you can suck the sorry nipples, and eventually- Well, that's the goal, Eventually, when you do enough quests for a certain follower, you can romance them or not, you know, it don't matter if they're male or female, like, there's aliens. Do you really think that anybody cares about gender or sexuality? I think so some so people still probably so there's do, gay, to So be there's honest. gay sex in this universe. Yeah. Yes, precisely. Right. So I'm pretty if you sure want people romance still care. <laughs> a very sexy male Krogan, you most certainly could. Wow, wow, <laughs> that all right. Krogan penis right <laughs> I might have to do some research. But, uh, Ugh, you don't have to research very far. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> I would like to talk about a little bit of 
some things that I didn't enjoy about the game and then round it out with some stuff that I thought is fantastic. One thing that I'm very not fond of is in the first two planets, it is vast nothing. Eos, the war-torn Ket desert planet, is simply as it sounds. It's just rolling dunes, rolling dunes and tall brown rocks. It's just desert. There is red hot sun and clay and some baby little sandstorms. But for the most part, it is vastly empty. They give you a six wheel moon buggy essentially to get around on. And it's just not that fast, but you're just driving through sand for ages and ages and ages. Back and forth. You can unlock fast travel points, but still, you know, the environment doesn't get prettier when you fast travel. It takes away from the experience to have to go through a loading screen. And so I really, really was not attracted to the first planet. But as the first two planets were boring, the combat that I engaged in and the side quests that I did were not. So it balanced out in the end, but still a really big flaw when you're in a brand new galaxy across the universe where anything is possible and you land on a desert planet. And then the second world was literally just a glacial tundra. And you can guess, rolling hills of ice, tall icy mountains, and nothing in between. I remember watching you play yeah. and, 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 and watching and wondering, hmm, I wonder when something significant is going to appear. Right, exactly. <laughs> and uh, that one was especially annoying because on that one, most, if not all, of the passable zones by vehicle were not life-supported. So you basically have a life-support meter, and depending on how harsh the climate, uh, it depletes. The whole entire frozen tundra was not life support, you know, safe. Safe. So you basically just were stuck in your car. You could get out for like little plane crashes and spaceship crashes and random world events where Ket would fly down and ambush you and some caves and some natural wildlife on the planets, um, which is also extremely few and far between. The planets don't feel very alive. They feel very, very dead. Like, why would you even want a civilization there in the first place? There aren't even natural resources. And so um, does this, as you activate the obelisks, does it change uh, that aspect another, at all? That's another big disappointment. On the first two planets, you terraform the atmosphere, essentially, which isn't even terraforming at that point. <laughs> when you activate the monoliths, they hype it up so much like it's going to make the planet lush and habitable. But really all it does is just make the atmosphere breathable so that humans can land and live there and struggle to survive. Like it, They don't put enough effort into it to where once you complete that story, the planet's whole aesthetic changes and becomes beautiful and becomes what they said it was going to be. They really, really drop the ball there. But then I got to the third planet, and to be honest, it's what I was waiting for. They completely removed your ability to use the vehicle on the third planet. And what it is, is it's a smaller zone, and they made it this beautiful, lush, iridescent, like 
glowing forest of weird trees and weird plants, um, densely populated with equally deadly insects and animals that look unique and threaten you and hide and go invisible and they come out and they ambush you. And there's also these hunters that like lurk behind trees and behind cover and they snipe you from really far away. And they really captured, this is the only planet so far that really captures that like alien adventure experience. Um, and it's really cool and it's very immersive. And honestly, if the whole entire game was just one huge map of this forest, I wouldn't mind it. But it's not to be. It's not to be. It's not to be. But what is here is a great relief compared to the first two planets, Eos and Vol. What would you rate the game overall? Um, based on what you've played so far. Well, based on what you're going to be experiencing early on, the game gets a, a really, really slow start to it. But once you pick up all the side quests and really knock stuff out and develop the story a bit more, it opens up your ability to travel where you want. Um, you can actually pick like multiple landable planets at once rather than just be stuck on the one planet till you finish its story, then you move on to the next. Um, you can actually pick between the two and interchange, go back and forth. You can even go all the way back to the Nexus and further like some weird relationship that you created there for the prospect the of doing more side quests. Yeah. Or uh, maybe you just want to take a break from the main story and romance one of your favorite followers and get that sexy cutscene. Yeah, so while the game originally, with just its bare-bones mechanics and planetary discovery mode, would have gotten a bad rating, but the combat saves this game so hard. The combat and the remnant vaults save the game. The combat is wonderful. There's a plethora, there's dozens of different weapons to choose from, alien weapons that all look weird and do weird things. And they can be augmented, you can have multiple carrying at the same time. You have these cool powers that you can cycle through and have three of active at a time. And it kind of works how Anthem's power system worked, except not on a shitty nine-year-old developed game that flopped, where there is primers and detonators and you can use a biotic power on an enemy and then immediately shock them with an ability that has the detonator property and it'll combine the effects together and make some big, super massive big explosion boom boom. boom boom that does something special depending on what you combine. So the combat's very pretty. <laughs> it's explosive and dynamic. Enemy AI is decent. Enemy aim is, is very decent turn the difficulty up if you want. You can put on different armor. You can change the aesthetic of different things. Um, you can care about stats and be a min-maxer if you care. If you want to do that, it's got replayability because you can do different builds every time. You can be melee. You can be a technical guy who just summons turrets and lets them do the heavy lifting. Oh, I'd do it. Um, you can be a sniper. You can do all biotic powers and focus on ability damage. You can be combat enhanced. There are subclasses you can pick that there are actually called profiles where they'll level up the more points you put into the category that it supports. And so now I have one called like adventurer 
or prospector. And it's a combination of the technical field, the biotic field, and combat fitness. And what it does is essentially it gives me stats distributed in all the areas that I want it, as well as a dash that allows me to go like through walls and cool stuff like that. Interesting. That yeah. is really neat. And it's missing a lot of what would make this game so much more immersive than it is. But even so, it gives you those really, really satisfying uh, combat moments that just suck you in and keep you trudging across those rolling hills. <laughs> all in all, based on that, I would rate this game honestly a, a four and a half out of six tentacles. Oh, that's not bad. Um, if you like the choice-making games with, uh, with a very nice combat system, then this one is is definitely a fun one to don't pick. forget the voluptuous alien ladies <laughs> yes all of yes. the alien sex all of it yes. and the big dick krogans i'm currently romancing a sexy blue asari <laughs> time to get that avatar get pussy avatar pussy boop, boop. hello ladies and gentlemen i miraculously have acquired the voice of tyler our guest yeah um, Andy's voice is still out of commission. He's sitting here yeah. desperately trying to talk, but it's not working. So uh, I had to borrow this one from him. Uh, he's actually tied up in the corner right now. Yeah. Um, yeah. Might want to send help. We got we to butt plug up his ass and see if that'll jar his vocal focal butt cords. Butt ball gag. Definitely. <laughs> but uh, today I am reviewing a TV show called Psych. I love that show. This has been running for for quite a while. I don't remember the exact year it came out. But if you are into detective, uh, suspenseful kind of shows, um, also with... 06 to 2014. Got it, got it. So 06, that's that's quite a while for, for a beginning. But it focuses on the character Sean Spencer. Sean Spencer is an interesting, interesting guy. He has some crazy abilities where he's able to pick things out and he is able to notice a lot of things that normal people would not. Um, He's got sort of a, like a photographic memory type, type thing going on where he can pull information that he needs to help him solve police cases is what he does. But he does this all under the guise of being psychic. So anytime he discovers something or solves a case, he has a psychic uh, episode and, you know, it's something stupid. Like, he'll, he acts. He acts like an idiot. Right, right. And you know, as the viewer, you go, like, he's not psychic. And that's where a lot of the humor in the show comes from. The reason why I like this show a lot, in particular, as opposed to a lot of other detective-type shows, because there are a lot, oh, yeah. is that Sean is just such a lovable, hateable character. Yeah. He is a complete idiot. He does stupid things throughout the entire show. He gets himself into dumb situations where he has his best friend and also a really prominent character, uh, Gus. Gus. His his black sidekick. Ah. The, you know, the Tolkien character. Yes, Tolkien yes, character. yes. Um, but Gus is no Tolkien character. No, he Gus is, is great. He's great. He's a great sidekick. You know, they're both very funny. They, they both have their shtick. Uh, Gus works as a, a, a pharmaceutical guy, but this actually helps because he's able to kind of spot out poisons and, and different kinds of things as the show goes on. He's, um, he's very intelligent. He's just 
has this kind of dead endish white collar job at the same time yeah yeah, yeah. he he's yeah. he's he very like he's a classy things. guy he's a really classy guy he has you know his his very specific like things and spencer always messes him messes yes, with him because yeah. of this but it ends up those things end up helping yeah. spencer throughout yeah, yeah helping sean throughout the show another really cool thing about this show is it's not just all filler um obviously when you have a show running from 2006 to 2014 you will have a ton of content and um personally i don't like that necessarily um however i have continued to watch this show so that does sort of say something yeah it's a good Um, they have a good job of i'd say the last few seasons they start to run out of stuff to do as any show that's going on for that long does but the first three or four seasons they are a very good job of having interesting kind of bizarre cases that the psychic could crack combined with sean being the right level of ridiculousness to kind of make it work and then as they go on it starts to lose it a little bit but the first four seasons i think are really good like as i you know you can put on an episode and you won't be bored that's yeah, that's all you won't be bored it's a very very entertaining show another awesome thing about it is when they do do season finales and they do kind of start to bring in plot because it you know it is a tv show a lot of the episodes again like a lot of it is filler it's all interesting filler and there isn't a ton of plot but the plot that they do have in the show is really well done and really fulfilling in my opinion and it's uh all all around it's just a very entertaining show i personally you guys know this but um you listening might not i don't watch a lot of tv i get bored pretty quickly with you know just mindless tv watching i'll watch some animes but most of it is is plot or story driven or it has to be very well done um i won't you know just sit sit down and, and binge i'm not that kind of person psych is a show that i would binge and so because it's not, you know, I wouldn't say it's it's amazing content. Again, 2006 to uh, 2014 is a long running time. There are a ton of episodes. There's, you know, some episodes that aren't great. But for its category, for what it is, as far really as detective good. shows, yeah. it really hits the mark. It's super satisfying if you're really into following those cases and trying to see like, hmm, maybe I can figure out you know who the suspect is it's yeah. it's it's very good for what it is so for for that reason um i would give it a five out of six tentacles yeah. just because in it in its category it's very amazing but in general as content so, you know so. I, I i wouldn't necessarily like sit down and, and and just binge it for plot specifically there's definitely like you're binging it because it's fun to watch and it's, it's entertaining it's, and it's totally different than a lot of other detective shows even its closest comparison which i would say is monk that's another kind of comedy detective show they're so different characters like the i love one, that show what, monk? monk is yeah. a I know, I great love monk show too. monk is I, another I monk one too. that's actually why i thought yeah. of psych because but, me uh, and my sis- sister were just watching yeah, it yeah. but when sean it gets called into the police station in the first episode because he calls in a tip while watching tv while hooking up with the chick Okay. And he yep. calls in a tip yep. and says, I think this person helped rob his own store. And he describes all the nervous tick. The guy's clearly lying. Turns out Sean was right. But they had a partner, and they think Sean's the partner. And so while Sean's waiting to get called in, he sees this guy who's sitting there in handcuffs, and he smashed his girlfriend's taillights. 
Okay. He's got tail light craft like on his arm, and he brushes it off his sleeves, and it goes into his boot. And so when they pull Sean in to grill him, he's like, no, I'm a psychic. And then to prove he's a psychic, he has a vision. He starts kicking his foot around. He's like, the guy's like, check his boot, check his boot. You'll find taillights of his boot. And they find it in there. And, like, and that's, yeah, that's, that's, those, that's the evidence. Yeah, that's that, the kind that's of evidence. That. Uh, those situations. He sets himself up to be like, I am psychic. And this is, so he'll do stuff like that Very all the time. fascinating. Well, yeah. He'll just do like over the top acting as part of like having a psychic vision channel like, I see, I yeah see, I see. and it's it's really, really cool because they challenge it too during you know the duration of the show there's um Last even an episode that i watched recently where there's a high profile guy he wants to bring him into a think tank oh, because yeah, there's a private one. security company who's trying to make sure that a guy who's giving a presentation isn't assassinated because someone wants to assassinate him However, what Sean doesn't know because he has an inflated ego and doesn't think about things because some random, you know, company, he doesn't research it. It ends up turning out that the assassin was the person who got together the think tank. And so they were using all these different professional, you know, like there was one lady who was worked for the KGB, like a Russian, yeah. Russian assassin who poisoned FBI people okay. like and sean kind of makes him makes him makes an idiot of himself because you know but in the end they, the guy did use sean's plan to try to pull off the assassination because it was so bizarre they're like there's no way that would work but yeah. it was the one that oh they picked God. but like sean's sitting there and he's like are those m&m's color sorted <laughs> stuff like crazy <laughs> stuff like that like he's in a room with all these people and he's just he'll just say random kind of crazy stuff and yeah, everyone he's, thinks he's an right. idiot Very but nice. he ends up always solving solving the case yeah he has a nemesis on the force detective lassiter who's always against him always thinks he's a fraud never believes <laughs> in the psychicness oh, and they end up geez. kind of forming a working relationship in the end but the first episode not to order the chicken from this restaurant Gus is like, why'd you tell him this? Like, this guy's behind the grill and he's got hay fever, and you see the guy sneezing on the chicken. Right. And so, like, Lavender specifically orders something with extra chicken, and then he sees the guy sneezing on the chicken, and oh he comes back God. out. He's like, all right, what did you want to tell me? Okay. <laughs> but initially, he's just like, fuck this psychic guy. He's pulling shit. Sneezing on the chicken, huh? <laughs> it's, uh, it's really, it's a fun detective show that's much more lighthearted than almost any of them out there. Yeah, if, right. you're, if you're bored and you're looking for something to tickle your anus a little bit it'll give you tickle. quite a laugh it was five out of six right five out of six and it's on amazon i think right it now. is it is all all seasons yeah hi i'm andy and <laughs> i'm an alcoholic <laughs> i'm andy and my voice doesn't work so i'm getting a butt plug in the corner i'm andy and this is my story no i'm andy <laughs> no i'm andy fuck you i'm andy <laughs> fuck you i'm andy andy from toy story <laughs> Follow the Andes at Squidfellas. We are all Andy. We're all Andy. Andy. We are Andy.